Welcome to Ink in Your Veins. I'm your host, Rachel Heron. In this podcast, I talk to authors about the best things they've learned about writing so we can try those things too. I'll keep each episode short so you can get back to writing. Well, hello, writers. Welcome to episode number 411 of Ink in Your Veins. I'm Rachel Heron. So glad that you are here with me today as we are talking to Jenna Adams. And this is a truly delightful conversation. We're going to talk about why you might not want to wait too long to get feedback. In other words, why you might not want to tweak the small things when you should be tweaking or changing the big things because you're maybe a little frightened of what feedback might be coming your way. Totally natural. And it is really important to think about what kind of feedback you're getting. We don't write by committee. We don't do any of that. So stay tuned for this conversation. Uh, Jenna is delightful. That's coming up. What's been going on around here? Well, last week I released uh, my chat from the month before with Sasha Black, because over on the Patreon, we release the most current discussion. So that's already over on patreon.com slash Rachel if you want to hear the January update, which was super exciting. Uh, But last week I dropped the December update. So I didn't tell you about my retreat, although I did tell Sasha about it on the January update. My retreat was awesome. It was the best one I've ever done. It was a solo writing retreat. I absolutely believe in these. You can do them cheap. You can do them expensive. Um, I think the next one I might go on, no, wait, the the one after the next one I might go on will be a house sit. There's all these free house sitting services in New Zealand where people go out of town and they want you to watch their dog or their cat and you exchange services. You go stay in their house and they go away. And that's free. That kind of thing is awesome. You can do monasteries, which are usually a nominal charge. You don't need to be the religious affiliation of the monastery and they usually feed you. Um, or you could just go to a hotel. You can go to an Airbnb. What I did last time was, uh, last week, was I spent four nights in Picton, or a little town just northeast of it called Waikawa, and it was right on the water. I got to dive from my porch, literally, into the harbor. I was swimming with stingrays, although I did not know that until I got out. And uh, then I did continue swimming with them, but thank God I actually never saw one underneath me because I would have had a heart attack and died right in the water because they were huge. They were boat-sized. I read three books. I wrote so much. I had big thoughts, big ideas, big revelations. And here's the thing, when you're on retreat, just by yourself or with other writers who understand you and don't talk to you during the day while you're working. You have big ideas that are very hard to have while you're at home living your normal life. It kind of feels like that feeling when you're on a train and your brain kind of unhooks from the normal tracks and starts thinking in a different way. That's what I get from being on retreat. I am able to look at things with a a different view, different lens on situations. I get to I get to think big and out outside of that yieldy proverbial box. And it was marvelous. I couldn't go anywhere. I didn't have a car because I'd flown in on this little tiny airplane. Oh, it was the most exciting flight I've ever taken, just 20 minutes away from home. And I didn't have a car and couldn't go to town. I went to town once in a very expensive 
um, ride to get groceries. And that was it. I did not leave. I stayed in that little room looking at that perfect water that changed all day and all night. And I'm spoiled for life because how am I going to go on a retreat where I can't swim whenever I want in the salt water that is lapping at my literal doorstep? It was phenomenal. It was isolated. I waved at a guy on a boat once and I very carefully avoided eye contact with whoever was staying in the little batch next to me. Um, we wouldn't have even been able to shout and be heard at each other, but I didn't want to wave and have them come over and say hi because I just didn't want to talk to anybody. I wanted to be quiet and to listen to the books I was reading and to listen to my own brain and played a lot of music. And I mean, I didn't make any music. I played music on my phone and read and it was sublime. So I am refreshed and rested, even though that was last week and I already feel like you know, we've gone back to normal. But um, what's been going on business-wise around here today, I finally cracked open Seven Miracles to do the revision. I wrote this book two years ago in 2022. More than a year ago, my agent started taking it out it was early January, 2023. It sold to Hachette Grand Central in, I want to say March. And I have not touched it since the end of 2022. When I had done a big developmental edit and copy edits, I'd done everything in order to self-publish it. And then I gave it to my agent because I didn't want to self-publish it anymore. And I wanted to see if she could sell it, which she could. And so it's been more than a year that I have read these words and I have an edit from my current editor at the publisher because no matter what, if I had done 10 developmental edits with 10 different editors, once you get a new editor, their job is to help you make it better. And every editor will always have a different idea in mind for your book, which is exactly the way it should be. And she has some great ideas, but I will say that because I can say I did a pretty good job on the first uh, first go around for once. This was kind of a gift book. It it really was a, an easy book to write and a really enjoyable book to write. Uh, but I did deep editing and her edits are not bad unless I'm going to turn a page and find something completely shocking. But what usually happens is in the revision letter, you get the overview of all of the things the editor wants you to do in the book. And then when you go into the manuscript itself, all the little notes are in there. There's line edits, but there's the bigger idea edits inside the manuscript as well. So as long as she didn't not put something in my revision letter, it's going to be an easy, fun edit on a book I haven't looked at for probably four, no, 13 or 14 months. And that is how slow traditional publishing works. This book still won't come out until 2025. And I don't even know when in 2025. All I know is that back in March, this editor told me, can you have it back to me by next March? And yes, I can, because it's going to take two, maybe three weeks to do this. Three weeks if I go slowly. So, um, well, considering that there's only three weeks left in February, I do need to do it. I do never do anything early. That is goddamn sure. But uh, it will be done. <laughs> and I'm enjoying it. And it feels good to get back into, it feels great to get back into a clean draft with a firm idea of what I'm doing. And um, and I agree with all of her proposed changes and it's so fun. So that's what I'm enjoying this week. I just, uh, just broke that open this morning. I think that's all of the news that's fit to print around here. Oh, I hit um, four years clean and sober last week. 
had a massage to celebrate. And uh, that was wonderful. Thanks to um, some students who had bought me a beautiful gift certificate for a massage, massages. And yeah, four years clean and sober, six years without a drink. And I am proud of that. My life is completely different today because of that. And it's a joy. It's a joy to be here with you. It's a joy to talk to Jenna Adams, who is awesome. Jenna Adams lives in London and writes from her third floor flat, which is covered in plants. She's a regular contributor at the Book Network, and Can I Stray is her first novel. Jenna is passionate about exploring mental health, consent, and codependency in her writing. You can find out more about her work on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, or her website, jennaadamswriter.com. And here we go with the interview. Happy writing, my friends. Well, I could not be more pleased to have you finally on the show. Will you please share your name and your pronouns with us? Yes. Hi, Rachel. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I'm Jenna Adams. My pronouns are she, her. And I'm so excited to be talking to you today. I'm so excited to have you. It's been one of those shows where we just, you know, both of us needed to keep pushing it back, pushing it back. And I looked at my calendar and I was horrified to see it's been like nine months since we started conversing. (laughs) So, but I want to talk to you about writing and your process and how you got this book out there and how everything has been since it came out. First of all, um, Can I Stray is your first novel. So I know it is not the fresh anymore, but can you just tell us a little bit about what the process has felt like getting your book out there? Yeah, I mean, oh my God, it's scary, isn't it? Like being yeah. a um, Yeah, but I mean, it's been amazing. Um, and I felt so lucky and so fortunate all the way with all the support I've received from uh, friends and writing friends and readers and the publishers. Um, so yeah, it's been it's been amazing, but it has also been quite stressful and a lot of work. And I'm sure I'm sure you um you can empathize with that. What what do you think is the and I'm I'm we're just I'm throwing things at you now, but um what do you think has been the most stressful part of having a first book out there? Um, I think it's just the fact that you're stepping on uh what's the phrase like you're stepping on fresh sand, like you yeah. you walk the path you haven't walked before already with writing um you know my next book it already feels so much more comfortable because I've done it before and I have a feeling like I know roughly what I'm doing so I think it's just all that uncertainty and feeling like I have no idea what happens now what do I do next that is exactly it I have a friend who is really good with DIY she's taught herself how to basically rebuild an entire house like she can pull out walls and put in studs and insulation and plumbing and um but she's taught herself everything and she says the first time she does anything it's hell and she screws it up completely you know (laughs) and I think that's that's the way we are with the writing too um speaking of the writing what is your writing process like how do you get it done because you've got a day job how does that all happen yeah so I mean there's what I there's my current writing process which has been informed by a lot of mistakes and then there's what I did for Can I Stray so what I do now is a bit more like I generally write for an hour most evenings and I try and save Sunday for like chores and chilling and writing um so trying to kind of preserve some time for it but as you said like I do work full time so it's kind of got to be around the day job which I'm sure is something a lot of your listeners can relate to, trying to find the time to do it. 
Um, but when I was writing Can I Stray, I actually started writing that when I was 14, um, which was quite a long time ago now. Um, so I had this little blue notebook that I carried with me everywhere and I would never let anyone look at. And I was like writing at the lunch table at school and writing after school and on the weekends. And it took 12 years to get published. So that was that was quite wow. a long Maybe the next one will be a little bit quicker. <laughs> I love that it your process has changed that much. Um, and I love this concept, this idea of you with the little, do you still have that notebook somewhere like in your office where you can look at it? Yeah, I do. I do. But I would still not let anyone look at it because it is embarrassingly no. bad. It is so bad. But what can you do? <laughs> so you have mentioned to me off air too, that you are a night owl and it is currently midnight where you are. Oh my God. Um <laughs> So you have embraced that. And that is when you get your writing done. You get your writing done at the end of the day after your work, which I really like to talk to people who do that because I think you are more not the norm. And I think there are people who think when they do it that way, they might be doing it wrong because so many people talk about, you know, waking up and writing first thing. Um, what does that feel like to you to do it that way? Yeah, I mean, I tried to do it the other way. I tried to like get up an hour earlier before work or at, when I was at university, before university. And it just never worked out. I just like, I just didn't have the willpower. Um, yeah. I heard talking to, I think you were talking to um, Rachel Her oh, Harrison. Oh, Harrison. Yeah, huh? yeah. Recently, yeah. And I know she said something about like, getting out of bed and planting her feet on the floor. And I was just like, that's not me. I could not do that. Um but I guess it, I would just say, like, um, to anyone who is relating to being a night owl, like, it's totally fine to be doing it differently. Like, as long as you're getting it done, that's that's what matters. And you've got to do it in the way that works for you, not fighting against your natural, like, flow. Like, don't force yourself to do it in a way that, that you know, people in the 5 a.m. club, like, if you're not yeah. a member of that club, it's fine. And the people who join that club later are few. Like, if people don't just suddenly become a member of the 5 a.m. club or the 6 a.m. club. Um, and I and I love that you do that. Also, you it sounds like you keep it at the hour, you know, like for work days. And that's something I used to do when I had a day job was that I really restricted it. I didn't need to write for two hours or for three hours mm -hmm. on a work day. And you still get so much done. Do you find that? Yeah, I do. I mean, I feel like it is more about regular, for me at least, it's more about regularity than it is about doing it for a long time like if I can keep it up as a habit then I know I'm gonna get through it and after you've got home from work and you're cooking and you've showered you don't actually have that much time left in the day so an hour is probably about as much juice as I've got yeah that that seems exactly exactly right what is your biggest challenge when it comes to writing so yeah I mean that's kind of on this subject I'm so sure this is a relatable one but it is carving out yeah. that time to write I mean I'm not a parent and I, I live I live alone at the moment so for me it's not so much of an issue of the uninterrupted writing time so much as it is just like putting that time in the schedule protecting it managing my energy I mean sometimes I see other like people from like friends who have their evenings they have more evenings to just relax or more yeah. evenings to go and do something fun um 
But to be honest, this is writing is fun. That's why we do it. I, I've been on a break between drafts recently and I've been like, God, I can't wait to get back to writing. Like, what do I do with all this time? Oh, I, I love that feeling. I think that's such a delicious time of being a writer is in that kind of incubation time where you just can't wait to get to it. And then those first two weeks of the project. And then, of course, you know, reality hits. You're like, what am I doing? But yeah. <laughs> what is your biggest joy when it comes to writing? It's such a hard question. Um, I mean, it feels great to break into flow. It feels great when you look back at a draft and there's something you forgot and you're like, oh, I'm actually kind of funny. Like, I didn't think I wrote that. Um, but honestly, to be honest, I think it's mostly just talking to readers. Mm. I mean, you have these characters living in your head for like years at a time. So when you actually talk to a reader and you realize, oh, no, they know this character as well. This story lives outside of outside of just my brain is a really nice feeling and really refreshing after you've been kind of cooped up in your room for a long time, just typing away. It's the best. Your book, though, it holds some heavy themes um, like mental health, consent and codependency. So those that communication that you get with your readers, what what does that look like? Do you ever have emails that are are fraught or challenging to deal with or just or, or how does that feel? Um, I mean, mostly it's been um, kind of coming from a positive um, angle of uh, sex and relationships education, mm -hmm. particularly at schools. I mean, I was lucky enough to be invited to the Sexpression UK conference and Sexpression is a, a, oh, peer, cool. a near peer um, charity that is gets university students to go and give relationships and sex education in schools so they're a little bit older than students but still kind of close in age and it's a little bit more kind of relatable and when we spoke at their conference which was really cool and it's it was a good chance to kind of talk about these issues I know sometimes if a book contains heavy subjects people might think like it's condoning those subjects or if a character is yeah. is what something they might think that the writer also wants something but hopefully by the time you get to the end of the book that's been kind of undercut and you kind of see the character's perceptions change not to spoil too much yeah yeah but I bet the I bet the connection that readers feel is really deep you know what I mean that must be kind of an, an honor to to get that kind of uh, communication back and forth yeah, when when people have said, you know, like, oh, they're really passionate about relationships and sex education, or this has made them think about their own experiences, yeah. that does feel really, like, really amazing. And when people say, um, you know, this is the book I needed when I was younger, um, you know, it's a, it's a shame they didn't have this or, or, a, not, or a suitable alternative. But I'm kind of glad there's there's more chat about relationships and sex education at the moment. And hopefully this book can be a small part of that. And it started to be part of that conversation when you were writing in the blue notebook, you know, as a teen yourself, that's when the, exactly. this conversation started. That's beautiful. Yeah. Can you share a craft tip of any sort with us? Um, yeah. So I, I don't know if this really counts, but I, I would say, and this is probably mostly for new writers is don't wait too long to get feedback. Um, I don't think I showed my book to anyone until like the fourth or fifth draft and I wasted literal years 
just moving my commas around because I was too scared to hear like, oh, this isn't working so well. And maybe this needs some more, more attention. It's all well and good making all the sentences as perfect as you can. But if you're going to cut out an entire character or rewrite a whole chapter, then it's a waste of your time. So yeah. I do I'm a really strong believer that feedback is your friend. I love that. And that's how a lot of times we figure out what we need to pull apart in a book and put back together. So if you waited a really long time, what did it feel like when you first got it, this feedback? The first time um, I got feedback was from a friend who said really gently, this is a great skeleton for a story. Oh. And I was like, hmm, okay. I really was hoping I'd be finished soon. Um, but I, I think oh. I like Wow. Well, you're, you're saying this with like lightness in your voice now looking back on it, but I bet it was a body slam of a moment. I think, I think it took a while for it to sink in actually. And then it ended and then it was like, whoa, okay. I need to change. I need to drastically change this and I need to spend, you know, more years on this. And that isn't what anyone wants to hear. But at the same time, that feedback that my friend gave me was so valuable because this book wouldn't have been, you know, worth reading at all in that, in that state it was in. Um, yeah. so yeah, it, I mean, it can be really heavy, but when you remember that this person's just trying to help you, yeah, um, then you kind of take it more on board. Yeah. What does your feedback process look like now? Where do you, where do you fold it in? Does it go to your agent or editor or do you have betas or friends? Yeah. Um, I use betas a lot. I'm a big fan. Um, so I'll send like this, the first draft isn't fit for human consumption, but the second draft. Um, I usually send to my writing partner for like a big overview and he'll usually read it all in one go and then we'll just have a big chat about it. Um, and then after that, I've been using beta readers. So I had 20 beta readers for my first book. I had like a round of five and then a round of 10 and a round of five. And every time like the feedback was getting smaller and smaller and smaller. So I was like, oh, I feel like I'm getting there. Um, and that's really reassuring. I mean, I'm quite a thorough person. So it's nice to know that like, 20 people have read it. It's been kind of tested. Um, so yeah, I do the same thing again, just kind of several rounds of, of beta feedback before um, before it heads off to to be queried. Yeah. Well, that sounds, that sounds perfect. Speaking of people helping us out and doing those kind of things, what is the kindest thing that anyone's ever done for you in your writing career? This is such a nice question and another one that's really hard to choose. I mean, <laughs> Obviously, I feel so grateful to my publishers for picking this book up and all the time they spent on it. Um, I also feel really grateful that a couple of friends of mine actually ended up designing the cover. And now I have Ooh. this absolutely just cover that they really put a lot of like personality into. Um, but to be honest, cool. it, it is, it's really cool. It's, it's, it feels very, um, it feels really personal because I know the people who made it. So, so that's so lovely. Mm -hmm. um, but I think the top spot has to go to my writing partner because he's just been with me every step of the way, read everything I've shoved at him, listened to me for hours and hours and hours on the phone, hit through all the emotions. And I just, I couldn't have done it without him. And how did you connect with him? Um, he was actually a friend from university and we were not really interested in writing. Um, and oh, then how funny. Yeah. Um, and then through the pandemic, we kind of started writing together and setting each other's stories. And we did try to do a few scripts as well. Um, and we just got on really well and had this really good um, partnership and um, a good friendship. And we can tell each other 
that's not working and not be precious about it but we can also support for the for the good parts and get excited for each other's work so that's worked out really well he is worth his weight in gold that kind of writing partner is truly what so many writers long for and and want and need so hold on to him send him this podcast let him know how <laughs> appreciative you are of him what is the kindest thing that you've ever done for yourself as a writer um I have to say it's probably just not giving up like I don't need to tell you Rachel that writing is hard it's hard work and it's demoralizing at times and you're dealing with self-doubt every single day so every day Yep. Things like letting yourself have the breaks you need, letting yourself rest, but saying, you know, even if this takes 10 years, I'm going to keep going. And that doesn't mean keep going on the same book. I know you were talking a little while ago about knowing when to quit on a book, but not about quitting a book, but quitting, making sure I didn't quit writing, making sure I didn't yep. give up and kept going. Because you don't always get a reward when you're writing. Like you have, you have to just be satisfied with sitting at your desk and typing and hallucinating vividly. <laughs> exactly have you ever had a time when you kind of did give up and then got back into it yes I I did I remember after I finished the first it took me two years to handwrite this first job when I was 14 I finished it with 16 yeah, I love that part of me was like do I edit or shall I just write something else I don't know yeah. um and I actually took a two-year break at that point and um you know kind of got finished school and got to university um and so, and uh, I think there were plenty of times as well where I just felt like this is dragging, this is taking so long, this will never happen. Um, and I think it's just about having that hope of like, whether it happens or not, like I'm going to keep trying. That, uh, that just like gives me goosebumps. I think that writers <laughs> are, writers are just the most stubborn breed of any other artistry I think I don't know maybe painters are stubborn but um we are just stubborn We're, we just keep showing up yeah, yeah. Stop. Stop. We, we can't be stopped we are unstoppable exactly what is the best book that you've read recently and why did you love it um so I read a book called Cows Can't Jump by Philip Bowne um which also um is a UK book um and I just found it hilarious it's it's new adults and it's about a British teenager who's a bit directionless in life, a bit insecure, a bit awkward around girls. And he ends up going on this big trip across Europe and it all kind of happens across the backdrop of like the Brexit vote. Um, and it's just super, super funny. Um, so yeah, definitely recommend. Oh, that sounds delightful. Awesome. Awesome recommendation. And now will you please tell us about your book? Will you please tell us about Can I Stray? Yes. So um, the US edition about, of Can I Straight is meant to come out this year. We don't have a date yet. Oh, but, it's very um, exciting. Very let me know when it does. Yeah. Sorry? And let me know when it does and I'll put a little yeah. addition onto the podcast. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Yeah, because um, I mean, it, you can buy it at the moment if you're in the US, but I think it's quite hard. Um, so hopefully this will make it easier to buy in the US. Um, and because I really want um, you know US readers to be able to able to get their hands on it um so i'm really excited about that um and yeah it's kind of um a mature young adult new adult so teenagers will hopefully find it useful and interesting but i'm i 
hopefully adults will enjoy it too because there is a sort of like mature um perspective towards the second half of the book um so yeah will you give us a little bit of the premise oh yes okay so um it is a coming of age story i didn't even say anything about the book um it's a coming of age story um it's centered around two teenagers um and they have an age gap and they start a relationship so we see them as teenagers and then we see them again as adults kind of looking back at the relationship so it's a bit about the ethics of that it's about consent it's about relationships and sex education um and also mental health so yeah quite a lot of heavy themes but I promise it's not super down <laughs> downbeat uh, amazing absolutely amazing and where can we find you uh, so I can be found on Instagram and uh, TikTok um, over at Jenna Adams Books and uh, at my website at www.jennaadamswriter.com. Thank you so much for finally being on the show. Thank you for staying up very, very late. And it's just been a joy to talk to you. Anytime. Thank you so much, Rachel. It's been lovely to chat to you. Thanks for joining me on this episode of Ink in Your Veins. You can reach me at my website, rachelherron.com, and you can also support me at patreon.com slash rachel, R-A-C-H-A-E-L, where I have all sorts of great stuff for writers for as little as a buck a month. And do sign up for my free writer's email list of encouragement at rachelherron.com slash write. Now, get to writing, my friends.